Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope. I am one of your hosts, Robin, and we are on summer break. And today you will hear Nancy Holcomb's story, and we are calling this a hidden gem. This story is actually from the fall of 2019, and it is about parenting, and it has been a longtime listener favorite. And if you want new content for the summer, we just want you to know that Patreon is available. We're so thankful for our Patreon supporters. And if you are not on Patreon, we would love for you to join today. It just helps support our ministry financially, but also you get new content. So this summer, while there's listener favorites and reposts happening, there is new stuff on Patreon throughout the summer. And this week, you will get a brand new bonus story. And so if you want to join You can look in the show notes. You can go to our website and join today. And here's Nancy. Before Nancy's story, this is Katie. And I just wanted to remind you that we are celebrating the new Bible study that we are about to launch in August called Discovering God and Stories of Freedom. We have had so much great feedback about the When God Shows Up series, and we are thrilled to bring this one about freedom. It is going to be an eight-week Bible study just surrounding our eight different podcasts. You're going to love it. Go ahead and go to our website and pre-order today. Here's Nancy. My main thing is you pray I won't cry because I have mascara on and I don't ever wear mascara. <laughs> and, um, and thank you for being here. Humble beyond words to see so many of you that I know and many of you I don't know. And I'm so proud of these girls for doing this. It's like an idea that I had in the back of my head and never did it or whatever. I always see something creative. I'm like, I thought of that one time <laughs> and uh, <laughs> didn't do it. So um, it's a blessing to be here today. And as I speak, I challenge you to pray for me that I will say exactly what the Lord wants me to say. And I promise this isn't as bad as it looks on the note side. <laughs> It was much worse last night at midnight, and I started deleting, and finally I had to, I used the shopping list from March of Dimes to put my notes on. (laughs) So, um, the sweet thing is that I had to ask permission to tell this story. You know, each of us has one story, but it's many, many chapters of different stories. And the story that many of you have heard me tell has had to do with having our son, third child that had spina bifida. And some of that I'll be describing, but not in detail. So if you're disappointed to not hear that story again, it is a precious story. You can watch it on YouTube, the Jay Holcomb story, in about an 11-minute version as opposed to taking my time or yours to hear it. I am an interesting person, but I also was a woman with very, very strong opinions and ideas. And you made up, is, is there, can y'all hear when I go like this? Everybody can hear? You publicly may have not thought that about me, but I was very, very discerning, as I called it. But I was actually very, very critical. And so uh, the Lord had to begin prying loose some things that I held very tightly to in my belief system. And um, he did a lot of prying through having a son that was special needs. And I thought that was enough. Lord, that was some good suffering. We've learned a lot. <laughs> and life's going to be good now. And, and after, you know, recovering from some of the grief. Um, and then the Lord gave me years of experiencing a very strong-willed son who wanted to do life his own way. But the interesting thing is it's not as quite as bad as it sounds because we stayed in communication all those years. And we talked and we prayed and we worked through it. But I don't believe I've buried a son and I've had a son 
not do what we wanted them to do and make some very destructive decisions. And I'm telling you, they were equally painful because I at least knew where the one that was dead was. I knew he was in heaven in the middle of the night. I didn't know where that other one was. And my scripture that I chose, y'all come on in. And so glad you're here and you've given this time to the Lord because he's going to speak, not me, hopefully. I know he will. Isaiah 5410 says, and this is the message, and after losing Jay, I had to read a different translation. I couldn't read my underlined versions, and it's a paraphrase, but I've loved it. It says, for even if the mountains walk away and the hills fall to pieces, my love will not walk away from you. My covenant commitment or promise of peace won't fall apart. The God who has compassion on you says so. So it's a quote within a quote. And as women, our mountains and our hills are our parenting and our children. We put so much of our dreams and our expectations. If we didn't do something, we want them to do it, you know? And uh, my daughter, Claire, is here. And if I start preaching, she's going to go like this, which means quit preaching, because this is my story, not preaching. And, uh, and that was part of my problem, is everything was a teaching opportunity for me. And I w- felt like it was up to me for my children to walk with the Lord. And many, many times I forgot that this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. But I felt like I had this domain of spiritual life that I had to pass on. The background, of, for my background, I was the fourth of five children. My dad was a surgeon. I thought he was like Billy Graham, but he really had only given his life to the Lord pretty much a few years before he married my mom. We had an open, loving home. I never one time asked my mother if 10 people couldn't come to dinner that she didn't say yes. That's easy because she had a full-time cook. Um, (laughs) But anyway, I met my husband in the third grade, and I really did want to know Jesus at a very young age, and I knew I was a sinner at a young age because I was that kid. TikTok, the game is locked, and nobody else can play. And and then I'd kind of get in bed at night and go, I, I, I was a sinner. Please forgive me. And then I would do it again the next day. So I was that child that your children were coming home crying about. And, um, and then we went to Africa, and then in the ninth grade, started liking Hamp, who was literally up to my shoulder. And... Uh, I always wanted a big, tall man, and I'm sure he didn't want me, but the shape I was in, but he pursued me pretty much faithfully, minus a few detours, and we were married at 21, the middle of our senior year, and he uh, went to dental school, and immediately I started begging for children. And I was working as a hygienist, and he was selling jewelry. He put himself through school. His dad didn't pay for it. We ended up graduating with no debt, and I was ungrateful the whole time because I didn't want to work. I didn't want... I didn't want him selling anything. I'd never had any salesmen in my family. And I remember on our eighth anniversary, Claire was almost four. She was four. She was four on our anniversary. She was born on our fourth anniversary. And I remember having looking nice. You know, those nights where you really feel pretty. And we were at Annabelle's at the Hickory Ridge Mall, which was a new restaurant. And I, <laughs> I always wanted to go eat in a mall because I wanted to go shopping afterwards. And so uh, I remember exactly where I was sitting. The lights were dim. I had mascara on, and I'm looking at him. And I was just past that kind of sick stage of, you know, being pregnant. We were starting to feel good and even a little sexy. And I said, babes, what's it been like being married to me? And he goes, which one of you? And I said, oh, you're so funny. And he goes, 
No, which one of you? The public Nancy that's the life of the party or the private one that gets in the car and says, I'm so exhausted. (laughs) And I kind of wish I'd known about Enneagram then, but I am not an extrovert. I am good at being an extrovert, but I'm enthused by being alone and having time with nothing on the calendar, which is pretty much impossible for my life. But uh, then the Lord, six months later, our third child was born. We'd had no ultrasounds. He was born with spina bifida. And that's the other story that I won't be telling you. But I will say the second night after he was born, the geneticist walked in the room and said, you should never have any more children. If you have another child, it's very, very likely that he too would have, or she too would have spina bifida. Well, I wanted a lot of children, and that was not going to do with me. So I started praying, and through the grief, prayed. And I love this scripture, Hannah in the Bible, 1 Samuel 1, 27 through 28. She said, I prayed for this child, and the Lord granted me what I asked of him. (laughs) Y'all, this is like an epiphany last night as I was fine-tuning this. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given to the Lord, never dreaming the literality. I'm going to have to be giving him to the Lord for his whole life. It's never going to be like set, done, and sealed. He's off. I don't have to pray for him anymore. And anyway, went to dinner with him last night, and I had asked permission to tell this story. And for the word prodigal to be used, he said, Mom, I don't really feel like a prodigal. I mean, I was talking to y'all through the whole time, and I went, I know. (laughs) And uh, he said, you know, and I said, you know, it's really about being a prodigal mom. What were the areas in my life that God wanted to change in me and teach me of his faithfulness and his love? And when I asked his permission a few weeks ago, he said, Mom, go for it. You don't even have to tell me what you're saying. Just go for it. So that's what God's been doing in his life. Sam was born 22 months. Uh, Jay was 22 months old, paralyzed from the chest down, and Sam came into our life. I always wanted twins, and I kind of got a dose of it because within two months, Sam weighed more than Jay and was off and running. He is the end of our children's story as far as no more kids. He's the punchline kid. He came into this world with a zest and a curiosity, fearless. I called him a wild man baby. Uh, Claire can vouch for that. He reminds me a lot of myself. Whenever we tried to do something for him, like dress him, do myself, mama, do myself. And he would sit there like with the Oshkosh overalls and you're going, give it to me. (laughs) You know, didn't want the line on the sock on his foot and um, had to put his socks on inside out. Now he wears mismatched socks. I'm like, he went from one extreme to the other because he just couldn't fight it. So he just gave in, you know, he's also my most discerning child in that if ever I was troubled, uh, he would say, Mom, is everything all right? I go, everything's fine. He goes, no, no, what's wrong, Mom? Are you good? Are you okay? And I'd say, I'm fine. Well, no, really, I'm not. And he has a very sensitive nature. And he was born with pec muscles. I mean, he had pecs <laughs> at two. And none of the rest of us had that, you know. And um, so many friends. He's always had more friends. Jay's friends were his friends. Sam's friends were his friends. Claire's friends were his friends. He could have a conversation with a 63-year-old. Drew's friends. Claire is our oldest. She was four and a half when Jay was born. Drew was three. And then they were all born within a period of six and a half years. Sam was ageless with all ages in many ways. Um, This is my story, though, and the treasures that God wanted me to discover. And I had to do some digging, and he had to do some digging in my life. A little bit about the background relationship between Jay and Sam. When Jay would watch TV, he'd lay on the floor, and he loved every sport, and he'd hold his head up by sucking his thumb, but he was kind of, you know, because he was paralyzed, he had the use of his arms. So one Sunday afternoon, Sam toddled through the room, grabbed Jay's curly hair, picked him up, 
by the head, kind of kissed him on the cheek and kind of threw him back down. <laughs> and Hamp thought, why is Jay, Jay letting him do that? So he watched. And Sam did it four times, walking in the room and out of the room, which he never never stood still as a child. I was like, Lord, was Jay not enough? <laughs> I have one that can't move and I have one that won't quit moving. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Uh, they were they were a, a comrade team, all four of them. And so Hamp said, Jay, why, don't let him do that to you. And Jay just looked over at Hamp and he goes, I love that kid. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, that was an answer to one of my biggest prayers. When my children would fight, I would say, you're going to love each other. If it's the last, you're going to love Jesus and you are going to love each other. Do you hear me? Now you get in that room and you work it out and don't you come out of that room until everything is solved. And they tell me now they never worked it out. <laughs> I'd hear them in there screaming and fighting, maybe a thud every once in a while. And they'd come out and go, we're fine, we're good, we got it worked out. Well, they would agree, let's act like we worked it out so mother will think we worked it out. But somehow God did answer the real, the real true cry of my heart. They were a team and they were comrades. And when you lose a child, you are not only grieving the loss of a child or the loss of a dream of a child if you have a child that's you know, maybe has autism or learning, learning disabilities, you are watching your children lose a sibling. And that was the beginning of a great unraveling that needed to take place in my life because I had all the answers even, and I'm not minimizing all that God taught me through those years of 28 surgeries of Jay's life. Oh, he laid such a foundation of his faithfulness and his goodness, a lot of anger, a lot of crying out to the Lord. But I went from a full house to an empty house, basically. We built this house for Jay that handicapped everything. And Claire goes off to college three months later. Drew's a senior, president senior class, never home. And Sam was a sixth grader upstairs in this big old house all by himself. Never did I want just one child at home. Pulled some fill-ins. We uh, kind of semi-adopted a boy from Albania. My nephew lived with us. We were always trying to make it a full house. But God wanted to do some emptying in my life. And... Um, a few months after Jay died, I picked up Sam from school, and I was asking him questions. He's like, Mother, I never talk that much. You just never paid attention. You were always busy with Jay, and I, I'm not a talker. And I'm like, that is bull, but we'll, we'll, we'll settle with that. And he goes, I said, well, so tell me how you're doing. How are you doing? He goes, Mom, I can just tell you I feel like the music has gone out of my life. Should have been a red flag to what? Go straight to the best counselor, grief counselor there was. Did we go? No. Why did we not go? I don't know. There wasn't, counseling wasn't the thing to do back then quite as much. We needed it for ourselves and we needed it for our children, but we were proud and we were arrogant. And when somebody is telling you something that you don't want to hear, whether it's a counselor or a friend, I beg you to take it and listen, I'm preaching, gone to preaching. Um, St. Augustine said, a believer in Christ should be an alleluia from head to toe. Well, I thought I was one. I was one publicly but I was not one privately. And a year before Jay went to be with the Lord, Hamp said, Nancy, we all hear about Nancy and how funny she is and the life of the party, but we're not getting that at home. Do you know how much courage that took for him to say that? We don't like our husbands telling us things, and they love us more than anybody. He, so I started faking, smiling. I mean, the kids would walk down, hey, Claire, you look great. How you doing? And I, mean, I faked it. Till, and it felt fake, y'all, but it was not fake. It was obedient. Sometimes we have to choose that joy, and that's what I had to start learning. I had to choose joy, even though I didn't feel like it. Well, Sam in the middle school, life began to unravel, started making some strong, deceptive decisions. Um, he was very teachable. He'd get caught. He'd step, I need to talk to y'all, done something. Oh, Lord, 
Can't take it. Hamp bought us a leather prayer bench, and we have tear stains all over it. Hamp didn't grow up doing a lot of praying. That's my first response in the middle of the night. Let's pray. Let's pray. It doesn't always work, but um, he'd bow his head, and I'd hear him going, <sighs> like he's snoring on his knees because he doesn't want to really be praying. And I'd say, what do you think the Lord's telling you? And he'd go, uh, I don't know. What's he telling you? And one particular night, we were caught in a decision to make about Sam, and I had heard the Lord say in my spirit, let Hamp handle this one. And I'm like, I didn't want to tell him that's what the Lord had said. <laughs> I said, well, the Lord told me to let him handle it. He goes, I love this listening prayer. Let's do this more often. Um, when things begin to come to a head, um, I remember Sam was about 15, driving him to school. He wouldn't talk to me. And I put on Chuck Swindoll, you know, thought Chuck Swindoll was going to be it for my children. <laughs> And he said, Mother, why are you always putting preaching on? Why don't you want to talk to me? And I'm going, uh, I was trying to talk to you. and It wasn't working. And he gets out of the car. He always promised me he'd never do that because he had seen Drew do that. And he said, Mother, I'll never do that. I'll always kiss and hug you when I leave the car. And I went, Could we have that engraved and tattooed on your arm? And uh, he got out of the car, slammed the door. Y'all been in this situation. And, he, and I said, I'm going to cry all the way home. Not just cry, but sob. But I am not crying in this parking lot because nobody's going to see me cry about this. And right then, the radio was still on. And Jay Vernon McGee, who's a preacher that's still on the radio, who was dead then... <laughs> Pulling out on Macon Road, and this is what the Lord let me hear. Samuel is mine, thus saith the Lord. And I went, oh my gosh, there really is a God. I mean, wow. And I laughed. I laughed and cried all the way home. And if that if that is one of the threads the Lord was trying to say to me, which he's preaching, trying to say to every one of us with our children, they're not yours. He is not yours, Nancy. But I still continued on, and Claire's at Ole Miss about to get engaged. I think she was engaged. We met the parents. We loved Nathan. Oh, Nathan was such a gift to our family. The minute he walked in the room, it was like the beginning of a little hope for Sam. And the wrestling and fighting, and he was a wrestler in high school. And um, we came home from a weekend. I'd had the flu. I'd been so sick, y'all. I was so sick. Pre-celiac, I'd had breast cancer. White in the middle of this, it got lumpectomy, radiation, started falling apart. Everybody kept saying, she's just depressed and she won't admit it. Tried a lot of different antidepressants, a lot of counseling. I'm going down, down, down. And this particular night, was before I had been diagnosed with celiac, I said, I quit. I wasn't quitting being a Christian because once you're his, you can't, you can't quit, even if you want to. He had me in the palm of his hand. But I remember it wasn't even a prayer. It was, I can't do this anymore, Lord. And I wasn't even saying, I want an answer. I didn't even think he had an answer. And I share this story very, very hesitatingly because I don't want you to think God is to do the same thing in your life because he works in our lives all so differently. But this is my story. Fanny Crosby, who was blind early on, like for first year of her life, one of our greatest hymn writers, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Through Jay, what the Lord had taught me was I have to praise him. Every surgery news, I would fall apart. He would say, thank me. And everything, give thanks, Nancy. I'd say, thank you. And I also didn't know until after Jay died that his name meant to praise the Lord. In Roman times, it meant to rejoice. And I didn't even know that. I thought his name is so simple for as complicated as life was. But this particular night, Lamentations 3, describes how I felt. I wasn't even sleeping on my regular side of the bed. I had turned towards the wall. Hamp was gently snoring behind me. 
when I woke up in the middle of the night with such a sense that God was in the room and that he was there. And some of you have had that. You have it a lot of times when you just open your Bible and a Bible verse is like, oh my gosh, or J. Vernon McGee saying Samuel is mine. Um, I was at the state where Lamentation says, my splendor is gone. There's not anything left of Nancy that's worth handling this situation. And all that I had hoped from the Lord is gone. I've lost one son through death. I'm losing another one through poor choices. And I remember the gall and the bitterness, my soul, so downcast within me. And let me tell you, some of you are here today with your soul downcast within you just because your child made a D. And that's just as painful. I'm telling you, I'm not saying it has to be some major suffering. I, I, my soul was always downcast within me. i probably bipolar and never been diagnosed. But um, I was powerless to change Sam and change his mind and control my life. My daughter's engaged. I want to plan a wedding. I can't even think who my best friend's name is. Y'all, God sent me the body of Christ to pray over me. Women, can we come over and start praying over you? But in this particular night, as I fell asleep, the night came on in my spirit the room was filled with light. It was like the Lord Jesus was sitting in the chair, and all I felt was the love of God. I felt no shame, no condemnation, that I didn't have to do one thing to earn his love. Um, I was like Hagar who ran away, wanting to run away from her pain, and God met her in the wilderness and says, Stay, go back, stay in this pain, and I will bless you, and a nation will come forth from you. And I hear you. I hear your cries. Hang in there, sister. The room was filled with a tangible sense of the love of God. I knew it was Jesus in the room. I mean, if I hadn't even known a Bible verse, I would have known it was Jesus. It was as real as anything physical and intimate in marriage I've ever experienced. And I didn't want it to go away. And of course, I woke up, and what do I start doing? Hey, it's just about the love of God. It's just the love of God that he was supposed to teach Sunday school that morning. It's just all about the love of God. And he was like, uh, don't even, just be quiet. And the Lord let me have that because he knew that I was fixing to go into a much deeper place of sorrow. And I was diagnosed with Mayo. And at Mayo, after three trips, if I'd looked at you at a beauty salon in the waiting room, I wouldn't have spoken to you because I couldn't make my words make sense. Um, But that night as I lay there, it dawned on me, this is what heaven is going to be like. This is what heaven is supposed to be for me now. Me, me staying in the intimate presence of God, walking with him, grabbing my phone, or we kind of didn't have apps back then, but taking a minute, reading a verse, meditating on it, praying, thanking him. And this is what it's going to be like. I'm going to have a relationship with Sam all my life. Hamp and I will never have another argument in heaven. It's going to be unbelievable. Um, We are going to be at this kind of peace and feeling. And it was like almost a spiritual, intimate thing. So was all well and happy after that? No. It was years of Sam making these decisions. We even had a hotel room when he was supposed to graduate from Ole Miss the week, the Monday before graduation. He said, uh, not only am I not graduating, I haven't been in school for over a year. And he was been at Ole Miss. He wrecked somebody's car. Instead of using our insurance, for, he paid it, went to work to pay it off and dropped out of school. And we didn't know it. I mean, this is how dumb we were. But I'm just going to say, the Lord knew that I never would have thought that would have been me. I had parenting down. We said it when Claire and Drew were little, we need to write a book on parenting. (laughs) So um, what are the things that God has done? He said to me, quit praying for Sam and start thanking me for what I'm going to do in his life. This is my story. 
It may not be yours. Uh, I remember loving going to a Baptist wedding reception because I knew there would be no alcohol there. And then one day I grabbed his Coke and took a swig, and my son was the one drinking at a Baptist reception. And literally, y'all, it was as if somebody had stabbed me in the heart. That was a night where I sob, cried out to God all the way home from Holly Springs. Hamp's just driving the car. She's over the edge. (laughs) And we got it straight between us. And then that night, the read in Romans, who are you to judge another man? The works that I'm going to do in his life. And I told Sam the next day, I'm not praying for you anymore. And he said, but my mother, mother, I want you to pray for me. Don't don't quit praying for me. I said, "Not, not only am I not praying for you anymore, I've given you to the Lord. And I've said, Lord, you're his. And I can't take this. And I had to give it over to Hamp. Hamp would share with me, but I'd quit. The Lord told me when he kisses you goodnight, he always came in and kissed us goodnight. I'd go, he's been drinking, he's been drinking, he's been drinking again. He was the the age where he could drink, and I still was panicking. And uh, he was over drinking. Sam has been sober for over two years, and he's been on his sobriety journey for three. And last night we went to um, El Portan at late, and he goes, I said, you know, I'm doing my storyteller's talk tomorrow. And he goes, oh, that's why you made me go. Well, that's why you wanted to go to dinner. You wanted to get a guilt complex. <laughs> and we laughed. And um, I had started reading this book. I wanted to show y'all Parenting with Heart by Chip Dodd and Stephen, Stephen James. And I'm like, why am I reading a book on parenting? I'm 64. I'm a grandmother, which is one of the greatest treasures that God could have ever given us. And as I read it yesterday morning, just getting my mind off of this, I thought to myself, I never, ever really, really loved my children as they were. I was always trying to tweak them and change them and make them who I thought they should be. And I think I'm doing a whole lot better as a grandmother. Some of the treasures that the Lord has taught me through all of this have been prayer. The body of Christ and my friends who prayed for me, uh, also counseling. Judy Edmonds was a lay counselor and I remember the first time I went to her after Jay died when Sam was this going through all this, and I'm sobbing, and I don't go to counselors. I've got it all together. And she said, Nancy, I said, Hamp is the one that needs to be here. He's so messed up, and he just needs counseling. And he just he can't take anything I say because he takes it as criticism, and it's because he grew up with parents that were drinking, and it's his fault. And she just kind of listened, and she said, Nancy, you see that couch over there? Could we just, could you picture in your mind that God has Hamp, and God has his arms around Hamp, and God is speaking to Hamp man to man. Hamp was working on his stuff. I had to be working on my stuff. That's one of the things I treasure about him is his teachability, the things that Hamp has been, and his loyal love for me. It has been amazing. And I said, I can try. I can try to do that. And I went home after that counseling session, and I said, well, I'm the one that's the problem, not you. And God is at work. My only homework is Romans 15, 13. I was so hopeless, y'all. The hopelessness is never from God. It's never from God. And it was not It was not from God in my situation. The breast cancer, the mayo, the celiac, all was something. I don't know if you've, some of you have watched Stephen Colbert was interviewed by Anderson Cooper because both of them lost their dads really young. Highly recommend you watching it. And Stephen Colbert says, I never knew that I would thank the Lord for something that I wish had never happened. And everything and every wall that I have ever hit, the Lord has said, choose thanksgiving. Thank me for this thing you hate right now in your life. You're not being fake. You're being obedient. And so many times I've said, Lord, I'm mad as hell. I don't like it. 
but I will say thank you. Thank you. And, and uh, sometimes it was the next morning where the peace would come. Sometimes it was weeks of having to choose to praise him. Even, even planning this talk, I'm like, I'm so ADD. Oh, my gosh, I want to be the best one they've ever had. And <laughs> probably I've unfinished about 20 stories. And Hamp, as he listened to me, goes, just slow down. Um, but the Lord is so good, y'all. I'm so not there. I'm still on this journey, but I'll have you know, I didn't say one preaching word last night to my son. I didn't ask him, why are you not doing this? And did you do this? And have you gone to church? Well, the Lord just said, love him. Ask him how he's doing. Ask him what he's dreaming. Tell him your things, what God's doing in your life. And um, I was telling him that Hamp and I had a little disagreement two nights ago that was mostly my fault. And uh, I shamed him, and he was on the phone at a soccer game, and I didn't see him watching the soccer game. And and so we get to Wendy's afterwards with Claire and her family, and he goes, way to play, Essie. And I went, how did you know? And he goes, I was watching her play. And my matter of fact, I was watching you, and you weren't watching her. You were talking to Nathan and the twins. And why would you say that anyway? And I'm like, oh, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> and um, anyway, I had to apologize. And I apologized and I asked for forgiveness, but I still don't like him being on the phone at a game. It's really kind of a wounded thing that I have. And I shared that with him. He goes, I don't care about your wounded crap. I'm going to their game, even if I have to be on the phone while I'm watching it. And so that kind of made me mad. And I get in bed. You know how that feeling, your back is to each other. This is the after story. We used to do this so much more. And God is so gracious. And my back was to him. And I'm like, I know I want God's will for my life. And I want to do the right thing in my marriage. But he was so freaking wrong to say that. I wonder if the Holy Spirit's telling him how wrong he was. And, <laughs> He's sitting over the chair, and I know this is spiritual warfare because I'm fixing to share my heart about something that most people don't want to talk about. And I wake up, I fall asleep, and I wake up with a children's praise song in my mind that I have not heard in a hundred years. And it's, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth knoweth God, and is born of God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7, and 8. And I went, well, I don't think that I made that one up. <laughs> So I rolled over, and I just kind of touched him, you know. He's always much quicker to reach out. And then I flopped a leg over on him. And then and when I got up to go to the bathroom, and then I got real close to him, and he had to leave real early in the morning for Birmingham, and he kissed me. And I said, I love you, and I'm very, very sorry for how I acted last night. And he called me about 10 yesterday morning, and I go, I really want you to know how much I love you. I said, I cannot imagine life without you. Because when we're not on the same page, it is so painful. And it takes me a while to admit I'm wrong. I, I, I just can't do it right away. I'm learning. And he said, well, I didn't like you much last night at all. <laughs> but he said, I do love you and I forgive you. And uh, it, was a sweet, it was a sweet time. And um, St. Augustine writes, he says, we cannot know these things here and now. Why we have a child that has autism or a child that's born with special needs or a son that's going his own way or no money. We don't know. We don't know why. But Augustine goes on and he says, I believe that when you do know, which in heaven will know and be known, he said, I know that you will see that God was not only just, but that he was good. And there was a wonderful lady, Margaret McDaniel, one of my mother's best friends who had a cerebral palsy child that lived for 17 years, never got out of her bed. And she was my mentor through so much of this. When I went to her for counseling, she goes, I don't even know what to say to you. Uh, I don't even know what to tell you. 
as I was going off on everything, and she said, your homework is to say no negative things to your family. Nothing. If you can only say something nice, that's all you're to say for six days. And it was hard. And I made lipstick marks. And at the end of six days, I said, Hamp, have you noticed anything different about me? And he goes, it's been the greatest week of our marriage. His eyes filled with tears. And I'm thinking, this is the worst week ever. I can't even say anything I think. And... uh, and she was, she taught me so much, but she had, but when I was pregnant with Jay, I went to a meeting like this that I, everything tried to keep me from going and I knew I was supposed to go. And her lesson that day was God is sovereign over whatever's in your life. And that's wonderful. And it's a huge comfort. I remember the first Sunday after Jay died, we sang, holy, 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 that old song. I never liked it. Holy, holy. I never liked it. But I'm sitting there thinking only Lord, because you're holy. Can I trust you that you've taken my, our child? And it was precious, but she said, that's not a great comfort until you know the second thing, and that he's all sufficient. Whatever he's asked me to go through, he's been sufficient. His grace and his divine power has been enough. And the third thing is, he's all sufficient. He's holy, he's sovereign, he's all loving, and he's sufficient. And um, we prayed before y'all came. We joined hands, and Psalm 26.6 says, join hands with others in the great circle, dancing around your altar, God, singing songs at the top of my lungs, telling God stories. That's what this is about. Nobody's story is better than another's. You pray because you're in pain. And God in that pain once wanted to take me to a higher place of unself-righteousness. I would have judged you if I saw you raise your hands in church because thinking somebody's going to be offended that they're raising their hands in church and they're going to think that they think they're better than somebody and they shouldn't be raising their hands. And when God starts setting you free and doing a work in your broken self, you're like, I got I to raise my hands. Finally, we were at a new church fellowship 15 years ago and I said, hey, may I please have permission Episcopalian by birth? And um, I said, may I please raise my hands? I said, I can't sit here and not raise my hands anymore. And he goes, Yes, it's fine. You can. But he holds one hand really, really tight. So I'm like, (laughs) one hand in the air, and then he has to go to the bathroom in this church service, and I love it when it's during worship, and I'm like, yes, both hands. (laughs) Praising God so you could could, uh, judge me. Um, End of Lamentations 3, it says, you came near when I called. You said to me, do not fear. I think that do not fear or do not be afraid is in the Bible 366 times, one for leap year. Every day, there's a do not fear for every day of the year. Sam is the Lord's. He's not Billy Graham, nor am I. But God has touched his life. He's a seeking soul. And as we pulled up the driveway last night, I was telling him, pray for me as I talk. He knows I'm kind of long-winded. And he said, Mom, I will. I've already been praying for you. And he goes, I just like... Lord, you know, I've been humbled a lot. He knows that this is a humbling thing for me to tell his story. And he goes, could I at least sell one bond? So he's working for Binding Sparks. And um, whatever it is that you're struggling with today, I'd say, uh, like Abraham, you can believe God when there's no hope. It says, Abraham believed God against all hope. I was walking out of prayer one day, and I left early because I was so offended with, <laughs> I was just mad. And this is after the Lord had done, this, this could be like tomorrow, after the Lord had done all this. And Leah Curry, she's an African-American woman who, man, can she worship. She, in prayer, saw me walk out. Like, I'm not going to pray today. I don't even want to pray. You know, you know the feeling. I said, pray until you want to pray. Well, I didn't pray. I left the room. I'm walking down Sally Clink's driveway, who's my prayer warrior friend. She goes, girl, what are you doing? I said, I'm leaving. 
She goes, I don't know what's going on with you, but the battle is the Lord's. What did I say to you? The battle is the Lord's. <laughs> and y'all, I made that a song out of row, row, your, row, row, your, row, row, row your boat. And I, for 24 hours of deep darkness, I just sang. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. Thank you, Holy Spirit. The battle is the Lord's. And it was a life-changing experience, and it took guts for her to say that to me. Uh, Hamp and I have been married 43 years this December, and it gets richer and better. Uh, one of our pastors used to say, how can you be married to somebody that long and still be fun and exciting? Well, you're not married to the same person that long because God's doing a work in them, and he's doing a work in you. And it's kind of fun to see what's next. Uh, Claire, our daughter, uh, who I really abused in many ways, was we went to the hospital for Jay. She kind of made a little vow in her heart that she would hold our family together because I was a complete basket case. I love the phrase, a basket case is an unraveled person. You know, the basket, nothing's worse than a basket that's coming unraveled. You throw it away. And she learned how to organize and and that's her business, Trazo Design, and I'm, there's nobody in the world like her and what she can do with a drawer and a house and a closet. <laughs> and, um, and that suffering was used in her life. Drew is our musician. Y'all have heard his, a lot of his music. His latest song is You'll Never Leave My Heart, which is about Jay. And you would never choose your children to go through these things. Our greatest desire as a parent, as a parent is not only to keep our mountains and hills from walking away, but to keep theirs from walking away. We don't want them to suffer. And yet it's what God's going to use in their life. The last thing I'll share with you is when Claire was married, getting married, and I'd always gone shopping with her and said, you know, you can wear a bikini when you're on your honeymoon. You can, you know, you can, you can wear that on your honeymoon. Just wait. So we're shopping for honeymoon. <laughs> and I was very sick still. I had just been diagnosed with celiac, and I, I, I had gotten down 130 pounds, and I was born weighing 129. So, you know, <laughs> and so... I was so, so sick, and I was so, so physically, so much of what we struggle with is physical. It is tiredness. It is exhaustion. And we had, we were in the dressing room, and she was pretty well endowed, and she's trying, I'm like, oh, Claire, I just, I just, oh, she burst into tears. She goes, mother, you've told me all my life I can wear a bikini on my honeymoon. And all I could think of was all the other men that had flat-chested wives, you know, and, and looking at her. And she, <laughs> Do you remember it well? I know. And uh, I remember that morning going, we were at the hotel next to the Dallas Mall with another precious mother and her daughter going, I can't do this, Lord. And the Lord gave me that song, There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, Holy Lamb of God, Messiah. And thank you, Lord, that you left your Holy Spirit here to teach me how to do life. He's not asking you to do life on your own. He's saying, I'll be the mom you need to be. I'll be the wife you're supposed to be. I'll be the grandmother you're supposed to be. I'll apologize in you to your husband if you'll let me. And uh, I'll close with this. Colossians 3.15 says, let. Nancy, let. Let it. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. I love adverbs, and I've forgotten all what adverbs and adjectives really are, but <laughs> I love this last phrase. I keep saying the last thing. Psalm 139, 11. Even there. I don't know where you are. I don't know what your heart is struggling with. But it says, even there, I will be with you, and my right hand will guide you. So this is my even there story, and I thank you, ladies, for being here. Thank you all so much for listening to Nancy's story this week. We hope you've loved revisiting some older stories, and we will be back with brand new stories on August 17th. Have a great summer.